This is Transcend with Nat, where we're discovering our higher purpose and sharing stories and awarenesses along the path of transcendence. Hi, and welcome to Transcend with Nat. This is Nat. I'm your host, and I've got a couple of great interviews that I'm going to be sharing with you today. Uh, The first one is with Arlene Steputat, and it is about death. And the second one is regarding women's issues, especially at this time of the pandemic, and that's with Rebecca Davies. And I'm also really excited because I'm going to be uh, doing a three-month course online. So any of you who are interested in um, having a deeper experience uh, with your purpose, with manifesting your life in alignment with your spiritual purpose, with your higher self. Um, This is an opportunity. I'll be teaching the course over Zoom and we'll be focusing on um, how you can align your outer life much more in alignment with the inner spiritual awareness and create greater success and success that is fulfilling um, and having success outwardly and inwardly. And um, it's called Purpose Filters for Success. So if you're interested in that, you can go to my website and get more information on that in the courses section, transcend.online. So I'm really excited about offering that and I'm really excited about uh, any of you who want to participate. Uh, Without further ado, I want to get into the first interview. And this one is with Arlene Steputat. And she is a death doula. Um, She has been involved and on the front lines with death and dying and those uh, in that process of dying for many, many years. She was um, involved in the AIDS crisis in New York in the 80s. Uh, She was the program director for Alzheimer's Association of the Central Coast of California, um, has worked in nursing on hospice, and, uh, ha- and is involved in helping people uh, in planning, doing their advanced care planning, and doing in the whole dying process for families and for the individuals. Uh, she is very um, experienced in the subject, and given what we are going through, uh, given what's going on as a planet in terms of uh, death and that possibility, um, being very forefront in our consciousness right now. Uh, I said possibility. Well, obviously, it's more than a possibility. We'll, we all do get to have that final initiation of dying. Um, but just this uh, virus pandemic has really brought that to our attention um, as, as, as individuals, as a group, Um, And so I think that this is a really timely discussion, and really it's timely any time, but especially with uh, where where we're at with this. And and I'm wanting to have a more supportive dialogue for people um, so that we can let go of some of the fear around it, uh, that um, the the unhealthy fear. There is some fear that around death that is healthy. Um, so I just wanted to 
introduce her, and uh, I'm going to just let you go right into that show now. Hi, Arlene, and welcome to the show today. Um, I'm glad you're here. Me too. So I wanted to have you on. Um, you wrote me after I had John Morton's interview where I mentioned, you know, a lot of what I'm seeing is is this fear of death. And uh, you've had so much experience um, throughout your life with working with people dying um, and that process and people around them uh, and, and that whole process. And I was reading just before this um, something on your website, dyingandgrace.com, that you say the denial of death is pervasive and we have a collective conspiracy of silence, a tacit agreement not to talk about death and dying in polite company. Death is a taboo topic. Uh, So I... I love, uh, that just makes me want to talk about it more. (laughs) Right, right. We want to break those taboos. That's what I'm all about. (laughs) That sounds great to me too. So let's talk about, about death. And, um, because it does seem right now, I don't know what you're seeing, but I've seen a lot, especially like I've even this morning, just reading comments where people are really upset, um, about people dying and this has really brought the fact that people I know it may sound insensitive but we all our bodies will die uh, that it's brought that to the forefront and there's some people really upset about that and um, and it's it's almost kind of interesting to me because it's some people it seems like they didn't realize people were dying before this Um, and so I, I'm just curious what, how you view, um, how this is as a society, how we're processing this and, and what your views on this subject are now that we're dealing with, uh, the coronavirus. Um, well, you know, first, um, in an odd way, the amount of death that we're seeing and the numbers that we're seeing Um, are part of the larger wake-up call. And I think that's kind of what's going on across the planet, whether it's the environment um, changing because cars are driving less. And so um, there's a couple of things. First off, it shatters the illusion that it it isn't going to happen to me. Um, And so, sadly, I think a lot of people are in fear. There's some people that are in fear it's going to happen to them. But on another level, there's people taking a responsibility of, oh, it could happen to me or I could unwittingly inflict it where it could happen or endanger or sicken someone else. So there's more of a conscious awareness. And I think when the the COVID thing started, it was all about, oh, the vulnerable people are over 65 and have underlying, you know, so people who were younger than that just said, well, I'm, I'm kind of immune because I'm healthy and I'm 27 and I work out. And, and then we learned that that wasn't a protector either. And so that is actually a mirror of what's true on the planet, that yes, of course, the longer you're on the planet, your time to leave seems, you know, you get to be 90 or 95, your, prop, your lifespan is usually shorter. But we saw, I saw a child, seven years old, was taken out with COVID, you know, so, so there's a wake-up call that, 
yes, death is always present. It's always with us. And then how do we work with that? How do we be with it? Now, one of the things I'm seeing as, as a doula, which is one of the things we try to mitigate, is, is that idea of people dying alone, you know, yeah. in the hospitals. You know, I can't see my loved one. I can't say goodbye. Yeah. They can't hear me. And I think that the opportunity for us in all that, and par I, I, I posted a, a thing early in the COVID, the amount of loss, collective world loss, whether it's a loved one, your job, you know, your chance to do your senior prom or the Olympics or whatever event was in your wedding, your funeral, all, all of those things. Um, there's an invitation for us to learn how to be present with each other in the face of the pain and, and to hold without thinking of something we have to do. I mean, yeah. there's nothing we can do about the pain except bear witness to the pain. And when I talk to people that are grieving, um, because we're not comfortable with other people's pain, we try to fix it. We try to shut it down. So I'm seeing um, doulas and others finding creative ways to honor people who have died, doing virtual funerals, doing virtual yeah. services. And I'm also hoping, and we're, we're looking at this in the, in the death positive movement, and there are a lot of people that are changing the way we do death and dying, um, inviting people like, well, you know, you, you've been not taking care of your advanced health care directive or... You know, you've been holding this grudge with your brother for 20 years, and what if you heard that he was dying? You know, so I think the opportunity for people is to remember that none of us know, we all know we're going, whether we acknowledge it or not. None of us knows when our expiration date is. And I, ha I have to say, having so much loss in my life, particularly in the first half of my life, I learned early on, because people were going suddenly, you know, they were there and they yeah. weren't not to take anybody for granted or any moment for granted. And um, so the opportunity is to befriend death in this time and start having the conversations with yeah. your loved ones. Just how do you feel about it? Just, I mean, that is the beginning of breaking that taboo, what we're doing now. Have the conversation. Talk, yeah. up, say the D word, you know, say it. Um, and that's, uh, a challenge for people yeah and and i i like how you uh said befriend death um and and what you're saying really matches with for me i i actually um reflect on death or use that fact of of existence um in my consciousness as a clarifier i think it's an amazing clarifier on what's important you know, what, you know, what is important in your relationships, in your life and what you're doing. Um, just knowing that, that this life is short and, and to have to take the joy and the love and the fun where you can and bring it where, where it may not be already. Um, so I really appreciate your, <clears throat> your talking about that and also the advanced directives. I mean, can you say a little something about that? Well, yeah. Um, well, and this is one of the things that um, is showing up in hospitals and that type of thing, too, is um, 
what would I want if I was in a situation? And while we have seen some wonderful success stories of people that have been on ventilators and then come out, sadly, the truth is 80% of people who are ventilated in any situation, COVID, non-COVID, do not come come back. And so um, I actually had an email from a minister saying, well, do I have to go to the hospital if I got COVID? Do I have to be intubated? And there's, there's choice there. And, um, and so an advanced healthcare directive is something, um, and there's a couple I can give you references for, um, agingwithdignity.com is a, a website people could go and read about five wishes. And it's expressing what you would want. Um, and you don't lose the right to say what you want but should you get to the point where something happens and you can no longer speak for yourself, you designate somebody that you trust to, to honor your decisions. And, and so you say to somebody, uh, I don't want to be resuscitated. You know, I'm 80 and I've had cancer. If it's my time to go, please do not resuscitate me. Allow natural death. Um, so an advanced healthcare directive first designates somebody that you trust who will honor your wishes um, to speak on your behalf at the time when you cannot speak for yourself. You're in a horrible car accident, you're in a coma, those types of things. And it makes people just look at what do you value? Like you were saying, what do I value in life? What's quality of life? And what choices would I make? And if I can't make them for myself, I'm designating and having the conversation with this other person to ensure that they do that for me. So they're, you know, do I want to be resuscitated? Do I want a feeding tube? Some very medical things. But the other piece of that is a wish about if I'm in my final stages, we call it like actively dying, sort of when, you know, we do a global circle of light or a circle of light where people hold vigil for you. So you're kind of in and out of consciousness. Your time is short, a couple days maybe. Well, what environment do I want around me as I'm making that transition? And specifying, here's some music I want. I want family photos. I want um, individuals one at a time to come and be with me. I want my hand held. I want to be massaged. I don't want those things. I have a, a friend who's also a death doula and she wants, and I think this is fabulous, when she's in her last couple of days, she wants a chocolate fondue fountain running and she, you, <laughs> and, and she wants joke telling. She wants everyone laughing and remembering. That's what she wants in the room. She doesn't want tears and sobbing. She wants a party. And, you know, um, that might be hard for her family, but, you know, even having that conversation, even having that conversation, Rosie, um, so, so that idea of what do I want for a vigil? Mm -hmm. And then also, um, the five wishes is looking at a legacy. What do you want to leave behind your preparation? And then what would you want for your service? Do you want to be cremated? Do you want a green burial? Do you want a funeral? Do you want to be scattered at sea? You know, and the thing about doing that is it's such a gift for your family to to have those conversations and prep ahead of time, because otherwise they're stuck in trying to figure it out when they're heartbroken. So, you know, advanced healthcare directives are saying uh, it's kind of my last 10 percent. Right. It's like the last thing I got to handle on the physical is what to do with this, with the body. 
and yeah. prepping for that is, you know, and you can change it, but just opening, having the conversation is so important. I agree. I mean, I've actually used one on multiple occasions, um, being with as many of my listeners know on this show, I talk about John Roger, my teacher a lot, uh, being close to him. I was one of his power of attorneys as was Jay Sue Garcia. And, um, we had multiple times in the hospital where he, uh, for whatever medical reasons was unconscious and we had to make life decisions for him. Exactly. Um, and so he used to say something with, uh, that, you know, nothing sacred between us, meaning like, you know, we'll talk about, we can talk about anything. Right. Um, and we talked about that and, and I, I attest to what you're saying that having an advanced directive, um, cause we went through it with him and they have all the questions on there and, and we did adjust it over time because there were certain instances in the, the hospital that we didn't realize that by choosing this option, it meant this, you know, it would go a certain way. And right. so we made those adjustments later on, um, to more match what his wishes really were. But I can say that, um, when confronted with that death situation and making the decision for someone who's so important to you, uh, it is truly a service that he did for us and that when people do it for others, you know, have your own advanced directive. Um, and I've had one for years. Mm -hmm. I'm young, but you never know. And so to know that as the person making the decision, that you're making it in line with what that person wants. And at least my experience, I think there was like uh at the hospital at the time when we made certain decisions that were big decisions and they had the copy of the advanced directive, there was, I think, um, someone or a, or a group of people, doctors or whatever in the hospital that made sure that we were actually following what was on that, that document. Um, and so, you know, it, it takes some of the responsibility off of the people making the decisions for you, which is really helpful when you're dealing with that. Yeah, well, there's two things. One, good on you for having um, an advanced healthcare directive. I actually go out to university sometimes and talk to um, students and say, um, if you're over 18, you need to have an advanced healthcare directive. And the whole movement of getting people to have healthcare directives um, started with several famous historical cases, including uh, the first one that was nationwide was a woman named Karen Ann Quinlan who um, kind of had a, um, a drug interaction, not a pharmaceutical, just her body reacted to something, and she was only in her 20s. And um, it became a national thing about, uh, because her father wanted to allow her natural death, and the medical community was like, no, we have to put her on a ventilator and keep her alive. And, um, and there's been a number of those cases where people were younger and yeah. and people had to fight. And again, it, you can easily, Terry Schiavo was another famous one where the husband said, no, she wouldn't want to live like this. And her parents said, yes, she's our daughter. You have no say. And it went to the courts in Florida and was in a national scandal. Like with everything else going on in your life, yeah. that's the last thing you want. And, yeah. you know, so I advise everybody to get when you can change it. 
what you might decide for you, you know, me looking at you, you probably want to have CPR, I would say, you know, you're young. At my age, not so sure. You know, I mean, it really depends. And and older people, the older people uh, get um, doing CPR on somebody that's fragile and we, you know, it can break their sternum. I mean, it's it's, super damaging. And and we're back to what's the quality of life you want to have yourself, you know, and that's also, you know, I worked in hospice for a long time. And that's the other thing. People wouldn't choose hospice till they were really dying instead of understanding the benefits of that. So I'm, I'm all about helping people befriend death and also ritualize it and sacred, make it sacred. It is a sacred time. Yeah. And if you can embrace it knowing the physical stuff is handled, then your focus is only on the loving and the mystery that you get to bear witness to. As you know, if you yeah. were up that, you know, there is an energetic that comes in and people say to me all the time, how can you work with death and dying? I'm like, it is an honor. Oh my gosh. It's a sacred privilege. And when a family invites me to be with them, that's my, that's my sacred privilege. And that's really yeah. how I hold it, you know? And, yeah. This term doula, I said death doula, and people may not mm-hmm. know what that means. And it's it's kind of, think of a midwife, and, and people are familiar with midwives with bringing babies in, you know, and there there are birth doulas, and people say, oh, I've heard of that. And, and the truth is that the death process is almost the same thing. We're just helping people leave, but there's the attention to the body and the comfort and the pain and breath and all of those elements. And... Um, creating a sacred space for the soul to leave, just like we make that space for the soul to come in. And if you've handled the basic stuff and you don't have to think about that, then you can put 100% of your attention on loving and thanking and saying goodbye to the physical presence of the one you loved. And that's really, you know, that's really you know, part of what we do. And I just want to add one other thing that is starting to come back, particularly because people are dying at home sometimes, is um, ritualizing and thanking the body once the body's left. Like, you know, in the olden days when people died at home, there was a ritual bathing of the body and a dressing of the body and an anointing of the body. And that's work I do as well, either to teach a family how to do that or um, and there's something very sacred about saying goodbye to this body temple that yeah. held our beloved, and thanking that, knowing that your loved one is with you in a different way. Yeah, no, I mean I, I think that's that's a a beautiful um, process is mm-hmm. the dying and also being able to do that in some way for the body. I think it it really. It can help those of us who are, who remain really, um, and and to me that you know because that process is the death process is beautiful. Um, the process of of take, handling the body afterwards can I mean for me it can be a bit bizarre if it's someone that you right. really loved and and especially like. Um, like for JR, he wanted to be cremated. So 
And we actually, because of his wishes and things, we actually were at the crematorium and, you know, you know, his body was in a, it's bizarre. The They come in a cardboard box. The body's like in this cardboard co- uh, um, coffin and, and you say, you have a chance to say your last goodbyes and then you watch them being rolled into this furnace. And it's a, um, in some ways it's traumatic because it's someone yep. you love. And it's also, uh, but I think it's super important that we have more of those, these type of conversations about death and, and actually witnessing it and then handling these things. Like, how do you want your body to be handled after you're gone? Right. Um, because it, it does also make each of us um, consider, like, our values of what's important to us in terms of, of death and also helps us consider death and, and bring it more to the forefront, which in some ways I think this um, virus is definitely bringing, bringing that. And in some ways people are not handling it well. And in, in some ways people are really like taking the time to, to get befriend the death. Yeah. And I think it, it depends on, you know, it's such a process, particularly when somebody was fine and then all yeah. of a sudden they're on a ventilator and then the next thing you know, they're dead. And, you know, and, and you haven't been able to see or bear witness or any of that. Or, you know, in the case of some of these, like in New York City, the massive graves or, you know, the pain of feeling like my beloved is in a body bag in a freezer yeah. truck because there's no way and I was very touched they had um, somebody from the army or somebody who was helping move the bodies that's they had the National Guard and this gentleman was saying we treat each person each physical body with respect and dignity knowing it could be our loved one and I've heard nurses and doctors say we know you can't be with your loved one but we're there with them and um, that's why I think the aftermath of this is, is, is like helping us grow up and look at our, our grief process in general. Yeah. And, and working with, with healing that and feeling what we feel in, in a presence where it's a safe space to have your tears, to have your anger and your upset. Yeah. And all too often, because it, it kind of resonates and everybody's uncomfortable because a lot of times we haven't done our grief work mm-hmm. on our own losses. Or, you know, it's like I put it away and I don't want to think about it. And we kind of do a spiritual bypass, if you will. And that comes back to get you if you haven't done the full integration of the experience as a human. You know, yeah. you, you have to work it all the way through. And we're lucky enough to have tools to do that. Um, And that's part of what I do as well, is I make myself available to help people work through that piece of it and get them hooked up with other professionals in the community. And I just want to say to any of your listeners, the things I do, I'm here in Santa Barbara, but I'm in a network, a national network. I personally and my team, we do what we do for free. There's no charge. We're just doing this as loving service to help people befriend death in a time where it's in our faces. So. Yeah. You yeah. Know. Well, well, thank you so much for that. I'm um, I'm sure we'll be discussing this more. Um and and I I encourage people, you know, reach out and reach out to your loved ones too and reach Absolutely. out to people who like Arlene who specialize 
in working with people and reach out before you need to. Like it's really important to to reach out before someone's like on their way to dying because it can be a fast process once it happens or or you know sometimes people recover and it's for another day but um definitely this is an opportunity to have those conversations uh, and it's and it's you know there's there's no time like the present you're if you're like most of us you're cooped up with people that you really love <laughs> yeah. and it may not be the the favorite subject but it's so present and again the the opportunity to have the courage to speak what you know is going to happen eventually like may all of us have another 60 years but whatever yeah. it's gonna come eventually and it is a gift to yourself first to really contemplate what's important to me what do i want you know and um so yeah i i just want to say one other thing um that uh if people go to dyingandgrace.com there are more than 40 videos about different aspects of death and dying. And there is one on advanced healthcare directives that you could just watch. It's about 28 minutes um, that will help you. There's one on death doulas. There's a whole array of information. Because like anything else, the more we educate ourselves, the wiser we are with our decisions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I, I think as you were talking, I was like, this would be a great subject matter to have in school, in high school, before people graduate, um, to have the discussion about death, along with like how to do your taxes. <laughs> well, it's true, so, and especially, you know. The, you know, in children, people think children don't understand, and they get it. I mean, we really try to encourage people, because their grandparents die, and their pets die, and yeah. all those things happen. So, um, again, if we normalize it, and we're very yeah. much like get it into schools, because if we normalize it as part of the experience, then we don't panic, then we don't, you know, and, and that's another whole issue about in, including everyone and everyone's culture in the process. So yeah, it's yeah. a big subject, but um, thank you for subject. inviting me. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, and my joy. Sure we'll, uh, we'll have to do this again because it's really an interesting subject. Thanks. And, well, thanks. And one that I think everyone can relate to, whether they're relating to it or not right well, now. Well, <laughs> yeah, hopefully they didn't turn us off when they heard what the topic was. <laughs> but if they did, you know, what are we going to do? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. And thanks for your service, Ned. I mean, it's, it's wonderful what you're doing. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Arlene. I think it's a really important conversation to be having, and I'm just so grateful that she was on the show uh, and that um, I could share that with you. Now, the next guest I'm really excited to have on the show, it's Rebecca Davies, and she is specializes in um, helping women and women's health. She's an osteopath. And she uh, also specializes in holistic pelvic care and a number of modalities to assist women in any, uh, any stage of their journey. She works with fertility, uh, pregnancy, postpartum recovery. And one of the things um, that I have a, f a few friends who are pregnant, I have uh, friends who just had babies recently, and it's an interesting time uh, to be going through that process of uh, being pregnant and having children at, during this um, pandemic. And so it's something that I thought I'd bring someone onto the show uh, that can really discuss um, 
things from a woman's perspective, uh, someone who specializes in women's health and can give you an alternative view um, and some really valuable and interesting information uh, that women can do to help themselves, something that I'm not, uh, obviously, um, an expert in. Uh, so gratefully, I know one. So here's that interview. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to the show. It's really a pleasure to have you here to discuss uh, women's issues going through this uh, crisis, this pandemic. Um, I'm sure you're working with a lot of women. We've talked a little bit about that and specifically about uh pregnant women and mothers and what that experience is for them, the ones you're working with, um, and what, what are the, the challenges that you're finding uh, women are having right now, uh, specifically pregnant women or, or mothers in this crisis? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the challenges have been changing as the crisis has been shifting. Um, so initially, I think what everyone was going through was sort of huge shock and adjusting, and and we're now in a in a different phase. Um, so it's yeah, and everyone equally, whether you're pregnant, a mother or not, is going through their own individual thing. Um, but kind of general things that I've been experiencing with my clients. Well, I'm gonna kind of turn it around slightly instead of talk about the problems, it's like more the opportunities actually, because, um, yeah, having the opportunity to really um, come into your feminine self. I work a lot with the sort of masculine and feminine energy, the yeah. feminine energy kind of very much being the being, left-sided energy and the masculine energy being the kind of right-sided doing energy and being pregnant and motherhood very much takes us on a journey as women into our feminine and into uh uh unless out of that masculine doing which we're so encouraged in the world to be always doing things and busy busy and this whole thing has made everyone stop completely and I think it's given women and this amazing opportunity to just stop and and be and and be in that space and you know I've I've been on a quite a few calls with women who are pregnant and who've just had babies and actually this is a almost like a kind of you know if you can look at it that way a kind of gift for them that they're being yeah. forced to stay at home and to you know, spend time just doing less to be to be having time to think and to be present and to uh, that that side of us, which I believe really through the journey of becoming pregnant and becoming a mother, really grows. That um, you know, and, and all these women are getting this huge opportunity to really allow that aspect of themselves to expand and grow. So. Um, so there are challenges with that, you know, where if we're not used to being that way, um, and used to being very much guided by, you know, external influences, um, 
you know, it, it's almost like a twofold thing. The pandemic is forcing us to stay in and to, to look more inward. But I think motherhood is also this amazing opportunity to, to do that. So um, if you uh, can embrace it and embrace the situation, you know, everyone is, I know, going to be in different situations and some will be struggling so much more than others. But if you can come into that presence with the feminine then um, and connect with the baby, connect with your child, then you're really kind of getting, yeah, moving into that space. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I like how you framed it as the opportunity, even though there are, are challenges. There's a great deal of opportunity right now on so many levels for so many people, and that really addresses the motherhood part. Um, you wrote an article recently uh, just about the the initial experience you had and, and how you looked at clearing that um, and, and where that's held in the body and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about that here? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I work a lot with the pelvic bowl and the pelvic bowl energy in my work, which um, for women's health, you know, for fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, which is a lot of my work, it's the energy we hold in our pelvic bowl is really key. Um, and... Um, I also think as women we hold the energy of the greater field around us uh, within our pelvic bowl so we as women I think we we resonate within our pelvic bowl as to what's going on around us Um, and you know so we can also resonate with fear and with um, you know, with others, with the, you know the, the the things going on around us, and hold that, ending up holding that as tension within our pelvic floor, within our pelvic bowl. Um, so doing some kind of meditation and clearing on that level in the pelvic bowl can be really, really helpful. So just a very simple um, presence of your pelvic bowl and just very simplifying it but just visualizing and walking around the pelvic bowl in the front around to the left the back and the right and just spending time in each of those quadrants um you can just sensing what it is you're feeling and and often women will uh, uh, i don't work with so much with men's health so i can't say but it might be the same with men but will really sense a difference say between their left side or the right side or um or they might feel tension in the front of the pelvic floor or the back of the pelvic floor and um yeah so a combination of kind of meditation and just awareness and then clearing and um and doing some you know hands-on kind of release work as well in that area can be really really helpful for just reconnecting and clearing that space yeah that's really a great um just a great method i think uh as you bring it forward and and so once someone's imagining that or um visualizing themselves doing that if they do find that like one side is more tense than the other or they do um, tap into emotions that are in 
that are being stored in, in part of the that pelvic bowl. Um, what what do you recommend they can do to to let that unwind or release it in some way? Yeah, well, sort of visualizations are good, and and you know, a lot of the tools you'd use in you know, kind of spiritual exercises are really helpful. So I I find just first of all just the awareness awareness is key. of what so it is starting to become aware of what is 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 a massive key. Yeah. Um, and then there's a really nice tool that you can use of just visualizing a clearing of the pelvic bowl. It could be that you're visualizing kind of sloshing water around to clear it out or sweeping it or something, but some kind of visualization of actually allowing the energy to release and visualizing that energy releasing out through the pelvic bowl down, down into the earth. Um, and also then bringing in the light into that. So just, um, I find that's another key is just if you can focus on bringing the light into your center and down into that space, then yeah, yeah that's really powerful. That sounds like an amazing tool, uh, an amazing way of, of clearing those areas and those things that are stored in the body, um, which, you know, is even though this is focused on women's health and in that way, it's also something uh, that in other areas, you know, anyone can do. And if you're experiencing tensions in your body or you're taking on um, what, what is going on around us. Um, And one question that just popped into my mind while you were talking is, um, do you, I'll just say what I was seeing. It's just that, there's like a grieving process almost to to uh, not being able to touch other people in some ways. Um, and, you know, how do you work with grief in your work in the body? So, yeah, in my body, I, I really think about grief as something that needs to flow. And when grief is stuck and held, that's when it's problematic. But if it can flow and move then you know it is a natural uh, I think a lot about cycles and the cycle of life and and the letting go and the grieving and the the sort of end of a cycle is is a natural part of every creative you know process and yeah so just to be able to first of identify what that grief is um, and then just to having that awareness of it just allowing it again just to release you know i love that phrase from john roger you know back to the nothingness from whence it came it's just yeah uh, allowing allowing it to flow and to move as part of its natural cycles it's um yeah we might work with women's health um i think so much about the cycles of life and the cycles the rhythms and the cycles of you know of the moon we're as women you know through menstruation we're we're tracking through our cycle the cycles of the moon and you know as as humans we're all following cycles continuously yeah. it's um maybe as as women we're because of our menstruation we're we're just on a vibratory tone more aware of that you know men t- tend to have a more kind of and it, it's also part of the 
yeah, you know, um, uh, the male, the masculine identity is more of a linear identity, and the feminine is the sort of egg round. Yeah. Identity. It's uh, yeah. I was going to say a little bit about the kind of in the pelvic bowl as well, the kind of patterns that uh, are commonly. You know, you can identify different parts of the pelvic bowl with different patterns, and the and the left side, commonly identified with our fe- feminine identity, mm-hmm. and that of our kind of being nature, and but also what is our ancestral mother line, um, and um, and mothering, and and then the right side tends to be identified with the masculine doing nature and that may, might be more related to our work life balance and and father line um and i i see that just repeated all the time those patterns it's it's work that i learned from an amazing uh, woman called Tammy Lynn Kent um who has a written some amazing books wild feminine is one of her books um which i'd highly recommend where she goes into that in a lot more detail. Um, and then she talks about the posterior part of the pelvic floor being related to support. And so often when we're lacking support in our life, that will tighten up. Okay. And then the anterior part of our pelvic floor related to fear. Interesting. Um, so they are patterns that I, I see, you know, repeatedly in my work. It's, it's fascinating. That is, that's truly fascinating. And... Um, I got so I, I I had the question, and then I I got so <laughs> caught up in in what you were saying and and um, following with you that uh, sometimes this happens to me when I'm interviewing people. <laughs> I get so caught up and just so present in what you're saying that I. Uh, forget that I'm actually interviewing you, and <laughs> and, and and I'm uh, required to come up with. Um, with other questions, but I think that to me, that's, that's something I actually really enjoy because it really means that you're, um, you're speaking something that, that even though I'm not obviously a woman, uh, that it really does resonate, um, in, in what, in the human experience in a way and the differences, uh, between men and women, but also the, the similarities in some ways where we can understand each other. Okay, there we go. So you've trained as an osteopath. You've studied psychology and gotten a degree in that and um, in women's health you've studied. And so a lot of your work has been physical, like hands-on uh, working with people as well as consciousness. Uh, but now you've you've switched during this time to um, doing a lot of just consciousness work in terms of, of women's health and with women over online, like everyone else is moving online. Um, and so what do you find in terms of um, the results that you get or the differences in working in that way uh, from a consciousness and a body releasing perspective for the client? Yeah, I mean, this is all a very new area for me, and it's, um, yeah, you know, this has been my opportunity through this to start working this way. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been really surprised how powerful it is, actually. 
I mean, I've done some distance kind of energetic work with other people. Like you've just had uh, Robert Waterman on, and he's yeah. studied with him, and he's you know he's just phenomenal. Um, it, you know, it can be really powerful. I found um, that one can you know with tune into what's happening in the greater energetic field, even without being directly with someone there, and um, and enable people to be present and for them to make the, the shifts themselves I mean I, I, I find even with the work I'm doing hands-on I'm I try to employ as much humility in my work as possible and it's it's not about me doing as me holding a space and kind of being present for someone I mean there is a, definitely a doing aspect but um, but I find that element translates really well to doing the the distance work that um, the space I can hold for someone I can I can hold that you know I, I think like with you actually and you know I've been doing some amazing coaching work with you Nat and I, I you know I know you hold that space very incredibly beautifully and thank you <laughs> uh, it is something and it's something that Robert touched on too and I think that a lot of people um, who come from that uh that attunement framework um, to something, uh, to God or to the soul or the higher power, whatever people call that, um, when you're working with someone, there it, it's this thing where there there is a lot of doing. I mean, you are doing something, and it is about the space you hold. Um, but a lot of the the gains are really um, coming from within the other person, and so so it, it's interesting that that seems to be a theme. That was something Robert talked about um or that we talked about in in his interview something i definitely have found over the years and even in the work of of working with the body as you do and working with um the body and consciousness mm. in the way you do it sounds like that's also um something that's very present is that it really is the individual who um, it's them who kind of does it. We're just holding in a way and doing something, but yeah. it's, you know, to allow them to do, to heal themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually one of the principles of osteopathy. So, uh, the, you know, Andrew T Taylor still, who was an American who, um, created osteopathy back in the 1800s. Um, he, you know, that one of his principles was very much, about the body has its own medicine cabinet and all the healing that is needed is within the body and you're you're not um you know it's a very different approach to modern medicine which is about a kind of paternalistic approach of someone else is going to fix you and osteopathy in its essence to me i believe is very much about you're just enabling someone to help help themselves yeah yeah, and that's great. And it's also a great reminder to, you know, anyone out there is that, you know, like you can do things uh, for yourself to support yourself and to support your own body and your own immune system in this um, in this whole uh, pandemic with dealing with viruses or, or any virus or whatever is going on in the world that, you know, there is an opportunity to really work with yourself letting go um as rebecca was talking about here working on letting go of those energetic things in the places we hold the emotions as well as um 
as well as doing those things for yourself to to help your immune system, to help your vitality. Um, like this morning, I I worked out. My office is also like now like where I work out, and it was so it was so to use a British term, bloody hard to get myself <laughs> up to like actually do anything this morning. Um, but I did it. I don't know how I did it. I don't always make it, but like it was really great. But at the same time, you know, like it, it is challenging. I know we're all like challenged with these mm-hmm. things right now. Um, but there's an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And you feel good afterwards. I mean, where it, I, I'm in the middle of a liver cleanse and I'm on day six of it now. It's oh a nine God. day cleanse. And I'm thinking, why have I done this to myself? <laughs> Like, I don't yeah. want to eat any more salad. But it's like, I thought actually this is a kind of good time because we're not going out anywhere or not doing anything. So it's just yeah. like, and it'll be finished by Thursday. So, and I'll feel good for it after. <laughs> nice. Well, I think this is a great place to just um, complete. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about these things with me. Thank you, Nat. It's my pleasure. So that's our show today, and thank you all for listening. I hope that you got um, some value out of that. Feel free to write me at nat at transcend.online. Come to my website, transcend.online. Get on the mailing list if you want to have some updates um, of what I'm doing, of the workshops that are coming out, and things of that nature. So I... I'm looking forward to the next episode. I've got some, I've got some interviews uh, scheduled um, that I think are going to be really valuable for you guys. All right, so stay in touch, and uh, I will be letting you know of the next one. <laughs>